Now we're turning tonight to the book of Hosea. Hosea chapter 6. And if you're wondering where is Hosea, well, of course, you'll find it in the Bible. And if you get to the book of Daniel, then Daniel's the next book after, or Hosea's the next book after Daniel. So it's the first of the minor prophets. And we're going to read chapter 6 together. Hosea chapter 6, I'm going to read from verse 1, I'm going to read all 11 verses, and we're reading, of course, from the authorized version. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Come, and let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn, and he will heal us. He hath smitten and he will bind us up. After two days will he revive us. In the third day he will raise us up and we shall live in his sight. Then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord. His going forth is prepared as the morning and he shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and former rain unto the earth. O Ephraim, what shall I do unto thee? O Judah, what shall I do unto thee? For your goodness is as a morning cloud, and as the early dew it goeth away. Therefore have I hewed them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. And thy judgments are as the light that goeth forth. For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. But they, like men, have transgressed the covenant. There have they dealt treacherously against me. Gilead is as a city of them that work iniquity and is polluted with blood. And as troops of robbers wait for a man, so the company of priests murder in the way by consent, for they commit lewdness. I have seen an horrible thing in the house of Israel. There is the whoredom of Ephraim. Israel is defiled. Also, O Judah, he have set an harvest for thee. When I return the captivity of my people. Amen. With the Lord stamp with his own approval and blessing, this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now, my text this evening is taken from Hosea chapter 6 and verse 4, and it reads as follows O Ephraim, what shall I do unto thee? O Judah, what shall I do unto thee? For your goodness is as a morning cloud, and as the early dew, it goeth away. And my theme tonight is entitled, The Characteristics of a Shallow Repentance. Now, who was Hosea? Hosea was an 8th century B.C. 
prophet. The word B.C. means before Christ. He's the first of the 12 minor prophets. And he prophesied during a dark era in the history of the northern kingdom of Israel. You've got to think of the land of Israel divided in two kingdoms. The southern kingdom had two tribes and the northern kingdom had ten tribes. And the northern kingdom was normally called the northern kingdom of Israel. Here's the Lord, and he raises up this prophet called Hosea, and he is a complaint against Israel. They were guilty of worshipping false gods, guilty of apostasy from the Lord. They were guilty of idolatry and infidelity towards a God who loved them and didn't abandon his covenant promise with them. So when you think of Hosea, you've got to think of his personage. We're just told in Hosea chapter 1 and verse 1 that he was the sort of uh, the son of uh, Beery. Then you've got to think of his period. He prophesied in the 8th century BC during the reign of kings of Judah like Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah. And in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. You've got to also think of his placement. He was God's spokesman, primarily and mainly to the northern kingdom, the, the ten tribes of Israel. And the ten tribes of Israel were often referred to as Ephraim. Ephraim, of course, was one of the tribes. But the uh, ten tribes of Israel together collectively were normally looked upon as the Ephraimites. So, so God addresses them as O Ephraim. It's not just one tribe, it's the ten tribes that are in mind. So you've got to think of his personage. You've got to think of his period. You've got to think of his placement. But think of his perplexity. You see, the strange thing is this, that God directed Hosea in his personal life to take a wife of the woman of ill repute. He was to take a, a wife from harlotry. He was to take a, a fallen woman to be wife. He chose a lady by the name of Gomer. He married her. Children were born. And sadly, Gomer returned to her old ways and her old lifestyle and engaged again in the practice of sexual infidelity. Yet Hosea, despite all the problem in his marriage, never gave up on her. He never stopped loving Gomer. He never stopped trying to woo her to return to him. Now, now what happened to, to Gomer and Hosea in their marriage relationship was but a picture of the relationship between God and the majority of the wicked children of Ephraim. And you can read all about that in the opening chapters of his prophecy. Now, think also of his preaching tonight. He was fond of using metaphors, similes. And as he preached and prophesied, he, he used these similes and these metaphors to drive home his point. For example, he likened Israel to a backsliding heifer. Hosea 4 verse 16. A heifer, of course, is a very uh, stubborn animal. Wouldn't come forward too easily to the milking parlor or, or to go into the cattle crush. Often you'd find the heifer digging the hoofs in, jumping up and down, throwing her head up. And, and Hosea is saying to the people in his day, that's what your life is like 
in relationship to the Lord. You're as stubborn as that backsliding heifer. You've thrown up the head in relation to the things of God. And here we are in chapter 6 and verse 4, and he uses a, a different similitude. The similitude of a morning cloud and the similitude of the early dew. And he's telling us that the morning cloud quickly disappears and the early dew quickly goes away. And here he is charging Ephraim and charging Judah as well as having religious impressions that last no longer than the promise of a morning cloud or the promise of the early dew. See, the morning cloud doesn't last very long. And the early dew, well, well it's not very deep. It makes a mere impression on the ground. And he's telling them, religiously, you've made promise to God. Religiously, you're full of good intentions in your heart and mind. And your religious promises, your religious pledges, they have been as fickle and as useless as the morning cloud and the early dew. As soon as they're visible to the eye, and they've got so much promise, then they disappear. There's a little story told about a person that was sadly charged with credit card fraud, and he spent seven years in jail. So he gets out of jail. And what does he do? Well, he does the very same thing. He steals someone's credit card. He uses the credit card. He went on a holiday. He had a good time at their expense. He comes back to the airport and he's rearrested. He is eventually charged, brought before the judge. And this is what he says. This is reported in the news. Your Honor, what I did was wrong. Your Honor, I've got a weakness in this area. Please believe me when I say that I'm sorry. And Your Honor, if you release me, I won't do it again. And this is what the judge said. This was the title of someone's sermon in America. Courtroom confessions only last as far as the door is concerned. Now that's true literally. But I want to tell you it's also true spiritually. Courtroom confessions don't last. There's literally tens of thousands down through the years and throughout the world who give themselves to attend religious services Learn about their religious duties and responsibilities. Some even make a, an outward profession of faith. They uh, profess certain promises. And yet they go out of church services. And they've got the best of intentions. They profess some sort of outward visible commitment. And yet the reality is their life's still the same. It, it has never changed. Their life is like the morning cloud. And the farmer sees it and he thinks, oh, great, they're going to be rain. And he goes in and gets his breakfast and he comes out and the morning cloud that promised rain, well, it's gone. It, it never comes to pass. Or like the morning dew, that's going to be good for the ground, good for the crops. He comes out after his breakfast and it's gone again. Someone has rightly said, if many professing Christians were brought into a court of law and charged with being a Christian, would there be evidence enough to convict them? How many are Christian tonight in name only? And as professing Christians, there's no evidence of a real, deep, genuine repentance 
that brought about a life-changing transformation for them. At best of what they had is empty, shallow repentance. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. The characteristics of a shallow repentance. Now, four things, and I don't have any alliterated outline tonight as I normally have. I found it difficult to get an alliterated outline. Firstly, shallow repentance involves abandoning your religious impressions. Think of these words. For your goodness is as a morning cloud, and as the early dew, it goeth away. The morning cloud is so much promise. It's bearing rain. Rain's good for the ground and the crops. The farmer rejoices. He gets up and he sees the early dew, and he thinks that's great. That will be good for the ground and help my crops to grow. And then he goes in and gets his breakfast, as I've said, and he comes out and the sun's uh, splitting the sky. And he looks for the dew and it's gone. He looks for the morning cloud and, and it's gone. And you know, in we Northern Ireland, many can talk a good talk, but as we would say, they've never walked the walk. Many say that they are Christians, but it's not seen or shown in their life by their lifestyle choices. How many tonight are religious? And yet they've never truly repented of their sin or received Christ. How many tonight have an outward profession and make a claim to be Christian, but they have no real deep inward possession of Christ? And there's one thing to make a profession. It's quite another thing to have a a possession of Christ. Didn't Paul say in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ... He's a new creature. All things have passed away, and all things have become new, and all things are of God. It was the Lord Jesus that said in John chapter 1, But as many as received him, to them give he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And when you're born of God, one thing that you have is you have life. And when you have life, that life is seen, and that life is heard. Think of a baby being born. What's the first thing it does? It cries. What does it want? It wants fed. What does it need? At times it needs changed and looking after. But those are all signs of life. And if any man be in Christ, he's what? He's a new creature. All things have passed away and all things have become new. But for those that have a mere shallow repentance, they have forsaken and abandoned those first religious impressions. Look with me at um, Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. I've asked myself here, who's saying these words? Is it Isaiah the prophet or Hosea the prophet? If it is, they're brilliant words and we could preach a series of messages on them. But it is possible, and I only make this as a suggestion, that it's the people that have heard Hosea preaching that are repeating his words. It's as if the people are saying this to one another among themselves. 
And for our benefit, so we can hear them, the Lord has recorded it. Come and let us return unto the Lord. For he hath torn and he will heal us. He hath smitten and he will bind us up. After two days will he revive us. In the third day he will raise us up and we shall live in his sight. They've heard the preaching of Hosea. They've heard the call to repent and get right with the Lord. But what they have heard has all been on the surface. When I read these words, I thought, well, that's a very, very good statement. Come, let us return unto the Lord. Is that not a good intention? But I asked, did they make light of their intention? Did they make light of that conviction? Come, let us return unto the Lord. Had they lightly realized that they'd gone away from him? That they'd turned to their own devices, turned to their own ways? Think about it. They never actually did it. They said it, but they never actually did it. They didn't really repent. They didn't really turn to the Lord with all their heart. They didn't seek after him. They, they didn't really grieve. And they weren't really broken over their sin. They weren't really changed from the inside out. All they had was a good impression. Here's a conversation among the people. Repeating what the prophet said. Let us do this. But it's all in the surface. It, it's all cosmetic. It's all so shallow. You know yourself that oftentimes we have had good intentions. I've had good intentions. I need to phone a friend. I need to make a house call. I need to help a brother in need. I need to comfort somebody who's grief-stricken. And I need to do this for that individual. But that, that can all be an intention. And it all can be in our heart. But those good intentions may not come to pass. Because that intention needs to be followed through with action. So if I'm going to phone a friend, I need to lift the telephone. If I'm going to do a house call, then I need to drive in the car and knock on the door. If I need to help a brother in need, I need to go to the brother and know what his need is. Do you see what I'm saying? And you apply that good intention to the religious world. How many attend the meeting, have a good impression, have the thought, I want to be saved. And the meeting's over and they're on the outside now. They're with their friends. The, the lure and pull of the world. The, the inward remaining corruption. The evil one whispers in your ear, tomorrow. Remember the scripture says, boast not thyself of tomorrow for no man knoweth what a day may bring forth. And it's far too easily to abandon and set to the one side your religious first impressions. So I want to ask tonight, is, is that a picture of you? Do you know there's a story told of a young woman from the great city of Boston, a true story. And she had a pastor, I think it was a pastor by the name of Wheeler. She was a kind and considerate and friendly young girl. She attended the house of God regularly. She was in the pew on the Lord's day. She had her Bible in her hand, her hat in her head. She sang the hymns, she enjoyed the ministry, she was honest, she was upright. She appeared to understand the gospel, it was clear for some time she was under conviction of sin. She was very clear in the gospel who Jesus Christ is and what he had done and that only by trusting in Christ could she be legally righteous before God and she must uh, put faith in the um, 
precious blood of Jesus Christ. And it was obvious the Spirit of God was striving with her and speaking to her. And she was urged to repent and receive Christ. Many exhortations of that faithful pastor to this young woman were in vain. He, he, he reasoned with her before she left the house of God. But she wouldn't take that one vital necessary step of faith. And she left the house of God. And there's a battle going on in her heart and mind. But she went back to her old life. And those first impressions, that, that inner conviction to get saved, seemed to go. And once she was back out in the world and her old life and among her own friends, it seemed to have been blotted out of her heart and mind. And I thought, is not like many, many of our young people. The abandonment of those first religious impressions. Several months passed and this young girl was not in the house of God. Her name was Sarah. And coming out of a lunch break one day in Boston, who did she bump into but her faithful pastor? And the first thing he said to her was this, Sarah, have you given your heart and life to the Lord yet? She said, no, I haven't. And he said, Sarah, will you give your heart and life to the Lord? And she said, yes, I will, someday. And then he said a third question, Sarah, will you not give your heart and life to the Lord today? Will you not do it now? And you know what she said? She said, Pastor, I will. Before the end of the day, I will. And then he said to her as they parted, I'll see you soon. And the battle really kicked in. And she thought to herself as she went back to the office, why did I say yes? And she wanted to undo her word. So she kicked against it. And it was just before midnight when after a long struggle, that young girl, Sarah, got down on her knees and cried out and trusted Christ because she felt that she couldn't go back in her word. Could I say to you young people tonight, don't abandon your first religious impressions. Shallow repentance involves abandoning your first religious impressions. Could I say secondly and quickly, Shallow repentance includes a lightness toward the Lord. You see, Ephraim here could be attempting or accused of attempting to fooling the Lord. Doesn't the Bible say, the fool have said in his heart, there is no God? Psalm 14 verse 1, if you look up the words there is, it's in italics. The fool have said in his heart, no God. In the Proverbs, the Solomon, he taught the people in his family and in his country these truths that it's fools that make a mock of sin. You see, whenever I read again the first three verses, I thought to myself, it all sounds very mechanical. It all sounds very easy. It's all on the surface. Come, let us return unto the Lord. No, no word of how. For he hath torn... And he will heal us. He hath smitten. And he will bind us up. After two days will he revive us. In the third day he will raise us up. And we shall live in his sight. In other words. It's as if it's the easiest thing to do. 
Well, 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 let us just get right with the Lord. He's in the business of pardon. We've sinned against him. Let's just go to God and say, Lord, we're sorry. We've sinned against you. And, and he'll say that. That's okay, my son. That's okay, daughter. You see, when you read into it, it's a kind of form of easy believism. No grief. No real brokenness for sin. No real heart in it. And I was thinking to myself, are these people guilty of just using the things of God? Are these people guilty of having a lightness toward the Lord and the things of God? Let me illustrate. Turn over there to chapter 2, verse 7. Remember this woman, Gomer? This is what she said. I will go and return to my first husband, for then was it better for me than now. There's no mention of the folly of her sinful lifestyle. There's no mention of her adultery. There, there's no thinking, will Hosea take me back? Who said he would take me back? I will go and return unto my first husband. Having been with many lovers, just in a light-hearted, glib fashion. She, she's so glib about it. She's so light-hearted about it. It's not true of so many. Shallow repentance includes a lightness toward the Lord and the things of God. Do you know way back in the days of revival, in 1859, I'm trying to remember the name of the school in Coleraine. It's just eluded me. Someone will remind me before the service ends. And the children come out of the classroom. And they came to the wall in the schoolhouse. And people who were passing by in the street could hear the children saying, Oh, my sin, my sin. And one after the other, children were leaving the classroom. The teacher thought they were sick, thought they'd gone to uh, use the uh, toilet facilities. And when she looked out the window, there was a row of children all lined against the wall, all down on their knees and all praying. And when she went out, that's what they were saying. Oh, my sin, my sin. Whenever Duncan Campbell came to the Isle of Lewis in the 1940s and the 1950s and preached his first sermon there, the church was packed. There was one particular woman in the Isle of Lewis, and she just sort of fell out of this pew onto the aisle. And this is what she cried out. It wasn't help. It wasn't I'm sick. This is what she cried is there mercy for me? You see, that woman had a broken spirit. She had a contrite heart. And God said, a broken spirit and a contrite heart, he will not despise. And she recognized that she needed mercy. And, and she was asking, is mercy available for me? Could God have mercy for me? Gomer broke her marriage vow. Gomer didn't deserve to be taken back. Gomer was never grieved nor broken. Gomer was light-hearted and glib about her lifestyle and her sin. I will go and return to my first husband, for that will be better for me than it is now. We could ask the question, why would God save the likes of you and me? Why would God take you and me home to his holy heaven? Why would God grant any of us mercy? We, 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 we don't deserve it. Oh, how many want mercy and yet they're not sorry for their sin. 
Want mercy but not have a broken and a contrite heart. I've never grieved over sin. Oh, when trouble comes, Lord, I'll change. Lord, I'll do this for you. Lord, I promise to do that. And then whenever the trouble's over and the Lord has blessed and helped, what you have promised doesn't materialize. You see, the first impression's gone. And you're treating God with, with lightness and clipness. Remember Lot's wife? She looked back. She became a pillar of salt, the Bible tells us. Why did she look back? Because her heart was still in Sodom. The accursed place. Heart in the world. And how many young people come to the things of God and they not only do they abandon and forsake their first impressions, but, but they treat the things of God really lightly and glibly. Because they've got no brokenness over sin. Could, could I suggest a third thing? Shallow repentance adopts glib terms for the Christian faith. We, we, we live, folks, in a, a contemporary Christian world. And there's a lot of talk today about God. And do you know how the contemporary Christian thinks about God when they hear the word God mentioned? They're not thinking of Elohim. They're not thinking of Jehovah. They're not thinking of Adonai. They're thinking of the old man upstairs. I say that reverently. The wise old man upstairs. The bearded guy. The guy in the sky. See, that's nothing to do with the living and the true God. That's nothing to do with one who's imminent and transcendent. That's nothing to do with the Lord God who's omnipotent, who reigns supreme on the throne of heaven over this earth. Isn't there a glibness today about God and who he is and what he's like, what he's done? Isn't there a glibness today about sin? What is sin? Well, let's hear our catechism. Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. Sin, remember, is the transgression of the law. We, we have lost sight of that. Oh, it's a failure. It's a mistake. It's a fault. It's a loss of privileges. It's a loss of blessing. It's a loss of reward. But it's not seen as rebellion to God. It's not seen as a disobedience to the law of God. See, that's why the Bible uses the word sin. That's why the Bible uses the word iniquity. The word transgression. You, you take the Ten Commandments. Isn't there a failure to live up to the Ten Commandments? Haven't we a failure in breaching them in thought and word and deed? Hadn't there a failure to perfectly conform to it? That's why Paul could say, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's why he said the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life. You take the Lord Jesus. How do they regard the Lord Jesus in the contemporary Christian world? I'll tell you, the great man of Galilee. A great teacher. A great campaigner for social justice. He's against racism, Mr. McLaughlin. Oh, he's a great protector of the environment. He's a great moral example of truth and righteousness. But he's not the God-man. He's not the only saviour of sinners. He's not a personal, powerful redeemer. And yet he's the only one we need for pardon and peace and reconciliation with God. Take the doctrine of repentance. Well, it's substituted for penance. Go and pay some money to the church or the priest. Go and pray 24 Hail Marys or 10 Our Fathers. That's what people are taught. 
That's what adherents to Roman Catholicism are told by the priest to do when they come to say, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. It's not repent and believe the gospel. It's, it's a form of penitence. And there's a difference. But we need to see this. Personal salvation. Well, that's your personal struggle with the environment and cultural identity and racism and social justice um, and uh, a building up of your self-esteem, a liberation of your self-esteem. See, so many people have said to me recently, I'm a man of faith. I'm a woman of faith. But it's asked the question, who's the object of that faith? Faith in whom? Is it faith in Jesus Christ? Could you say with Paul, I know in whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. You take the Bible. I'm talking about contemporary Christian churches all over Northern Ireland. Listen to what's been said. Go onto the internet. And when they talk about the Bible, oh, that's just an ordinary book. That's a book full of errors. We don't see it as an inspired, infallible, inerrant Verbal word of God. We don't believe that every word of God is pure. We don't believe the Bible's really a message from God. It comes to evangelism. When we deal with evangelism, we're thinking of the need for sinners to repent and get right with God. They, they don't view evangelism in that way. When they come to the cross, well, that's just a mystic symbol. They don't view the cross work of Christ as a mediatorial sacrifice. So, so when you think of the contemporary Christian scene, and this is what's going on in many churches in Northern Ireland, in the mainstream denominations and outside it, is it any wonder there's no real repentance? The Lord Jesus came preaching, Repent ye, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The rule and reign has come. John the Baptist said, bring forth fruits meet for repentance. Peter said in the day of Pentecost, repent ye. The Lord Jesus said, repent ye and believe the gospel. But Paul preached about repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the message that we need to hear. That's the message that we need to face up to. And, and those that have never been broken by their sin, not seen their sin for what it is, saw their need of Christ, haven't looked by faith to the cross of Christ, they need to be brought to this foundational stone that before there can be redemption through the blood of Christ, there's got to be repentance. And repentance means a brokenness. A soul's divorced from sin, sorry enough to quit your sin. Let me finish. Shallow repentance not just involves abandoning your first religious impression. Shadow repentance just doesn't have a lightness with regard to the Lord or adopt glib terms for the Christian faith. But shallow repentance accepts lifeless religious duties. Go back to this similitude. O Ephraim, what shall I do unto thee? O Judah, what shall I do unto thee? For your goodness. The word goodness there can mean mercy. It could mean kindness is as a morning cloud and as the early dew it goeth away in other words it's not real how many go through the religious duties of attending church offering prayer the lord's prayer reading the bible but never genuinely convicted to repent of their sin and confess their need of christ Do you know i i think of the many that 
are, are listening in to the internet, and that, that's great that they do to a variety of church services. And many are doing that because there is the globalization of fear. There, there's much fear in our community. This coronavirus has brought fear to many. You, you think of what happened in September 11th um, in, in the United States of America with the destruction of the Twin Towers and how many all of a sudden started attending church. And isn't that true when death and trouble and some other calamity or a crisis come, people seem to attend to religious duties better. But what are religious duties? Children have been brought up to hear the gospel and taught the way of salvation. Young people who have come up through the church are now in their 20s and their 30s. But is there a change of heart? That's the big question. If they have received Christ, has it changed and transformed their life? So much so that Christ is not only the object of their faith, but is the object of their love. Because true repentance is a matter for the heart. And the cross of Christ remembers the power of God unto salvation. And someone who's brought in brokenness will, will grieve over the guilt of their sin. They'll grieve over the crime of their sin. They'll grieve over the horror of their sin. They'll grieve over the fact that there's hope for sin. Because like that woman, they'll cry, is there mercy for me? Remember the publican? God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Could I say in closing tonight, remember the parable of the sower? Four types of soil. One sower, the seeds of the word of God. And the four types of soil represent the four individual responses to the word of God. How many were genuinely responsive to that word? Only the good only the heart that was prepared by the Spirit of God. It's important that we understand that there is such a thing today as a shallow repentance. And how many will engage in lifeless religious duties and go through all the motion of coming and going from the place of the holy and they'll even say it was good for me to be there. But when they walk out the door, they've forgotten all about it. It has made no change at all in their life. It hasn't brought them closer to Christ. It hasn't helped them to lay hold on him in faith. It hasn't made their heart yearn to love him and to live for him. I believe that's what Hosea the prophet was getting at whenever he said, O Ephraim, what shall I do unto thee? O Judah, what shall I do unto thee? For your goodness, your mercy, your kindness. Here's what it's like. It's like a morning cloud. It's like the early Jew that's gone. And what's left is nothing. Is that true of you tonight? I ask you to, to examine your heart. Think about this. Have I just got a, a shallow repentance? Or is it a real genuine repentance that has brought me to Christ? That has changed and transformed my life? May the Lord take these few words and bless them to you with understanding tonight.